Last week, we started a new series here at Big Valley Grace called Unlikely People, where we're looking at the lives of some of our brothers in the Old Testament, people like Jonah, and who we'll look at next week, Lord willing, and David, Moses, Gideon, to name a few. And the point of the series isn't simply just to look at their, their lives, but the, the point is to see what we can learn from their lives. You see, these people were just like you and me. They, they had good days and they had bad days. They had good qualities about their lives and they had bad qualities. They struggled with the same things that you and I struggle with. They struggled with insecurity and depression and relationships and unbelief and trust and family issues, whatever. Whatever it is you're, you're facing today, some of these people that we're looking at, um, they face the same things. They had moments of great faithfulness to God, but they also had moments of, of just great sin, unbelievable. Last week, we looked at the life of Samson. There was a man who had a lot of sin in his life, and we learned a lot, didn't we? In fact, it was unbelievable the number of emails and phone calls I received from people telling me how God spoke to them through, through his life. In fact, there were a number of people here last weekend that were headed down a, a crummy road, a road that was going to end really badly. And God spoke to them, and they went into the altar room, or they talked to some of us, and, you know, just as we were walking around, and they repented of their sin, and a, a life that was going to be torn apart by sin and crummy decisions, a, a marriage that was going to be torn apart, a family, literally, that would be torn apart because of just you know, a, a crummy decisions was, was preserved because the Holy Spirit was working in their lives. In fact, uh, last weekend, it was almost like there was like um, um, a mini revival, if you will, kind of going on around this place. It was unbelievable. And you know, at some moment, the, the singing's over with and the preaching's over with and communion's over with and, you know, it's over with. We're done, but, but God isn't done. And oftentimes when we finish here and we leave and we go have lunch or we go hang out with our families or whatever it is we do, we go to the park or whatever, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit just keeps working, huh? You go to work on Monday and the message that, that, that God, you know, delivered just con continues to rattle around in, inside your, your, your brains and it happens to me. And that certainly happened last week. Well, today's gonna be no different. I, I believe that we're all gonna hear from the Lord today, we're gonna to look at the life of Noah, okay? He, he, he was the ark guy. And my, my son, right down here, he, he's been a part of the series. He was here last week to hear about Samson, and he asked mom today, hey, what's dad gonna talk about today? And he, and, well, the ark, and he wanted to come today too. And, and this is kind of what, what, what Noah's most famous for, is, is the ark, and... Um, Nobody would be here today if it wasn't for, for Noah. In fact, we're all related because of Noah. I mean, look, look around, look to your left and your right. Somehow, because of Noah, you, you're, you're related. <laughs> yeah. Right, it's like, wow, this, I'm, I'm discouraged. I came to church and I'm bummed. That guy's, that guy's related to me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, 
had no clue what was going to happen. In holy fear, he built the ark to save his family. Beloved, there, there's a lot we can learn from this man, a lot, more than I could ever cover in one message, okay? Um, you could do a whole series on Samson. You could do a whole series on Noah or, or Jonah or David or Jehoshaphat, some of these people that we're, we're, we're going to be looking at. But I am going to zero in on, on one thing, one critical thing that I, I think we, we, we learned from the life of Noah. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 5. He said, try to learn what pleases the Lord. That's good, isn't it? That's good you know, encouragement to, all, to us all. One, one version says, figure out what pleases Christ and then do it. And this is what we're going to zero in on. I think, you know, this morning here over in the venue, we're going to figure out what pleases the Lord, and, and, and Noah is going to be our guide. You see, the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 6. The Bible says that Noah pleased the Lord. One version says God liked what he saw in Noah. I mean, isn't that a great phrase? I mean, Paul tells us, look, figure out what pleases the Lord and then do it. And sometimes, you know, I don't know, that can be a difficult thing. I mean, everybody's got their own idea of what might please the Lord. Well, the cool thing is, is that the Bible says that Noah pleased God. When God looked down from heaven and saw the life of Noah, it brought pleasure to his life. And so what we got to do is, is we got to say, well, what was it about Noah's life that pleased God? What did God see when he looked down at the life of Noah and that, that, that he liked? Because whatever it was, whatever God saw, that, that's what we need to do, right? That, that's what we need to practice. Because all of us in here who name the name of Jesus, I mean, don't we all want God to think that about us, so to speak? I mean, listen, God's pleased with you. You gave your life to his son, Okay. And that ultimately is the greatest work you can do. But there's this practical side of our faith where, man, I hope our lives somehow bring pleasure to God. And so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you four things. This is not a comprehensive list. I put them in your notes there, number one, because I got ADD, okay? And I know a bunch of you do too. And if I don't keep you on track, you're here, there. How do I fix my car engine? I got to go mow the lawn. Right. The notes are there to kind of help you focus a little bit. And they're there because I believe you're going to hear from the Lord. And it's a place to take some notes. How crummy would it be if God says something amazing to you and you're not ready for it? And you know what? Maybe you're wife isn't here, maybe your husband's not here, maybe your parents aren't here, your grandparents aren't here, or whatever, your grandson's not here, you could easily take these notes home and, and use it as a guide to teach them. I keep this thing pretty, pretty simple because I want this to be a, a, th th those notes to be a, a tool in your hand. Number one, it pleases God when you choose to make yourself available. In chapter 6, verse 5, it says, the, the Lord saw that the that human beings on earth were very wicked and that everything they thought about was evil. He was sorry that he had made human beings on earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will destroy all human beings that I have made on earth and I will destroy every animal and everything that crawls on earth and the birds of the air because I'm sorry that I have made them. And then here's our, our, our quote here. But Noah pleased the Lord. 
Now let me set this up for my son Cade and for those of you that may not understand the, the, the story. Most of us do, but a lot of you don't. The Bible says in Genesis chapter one that after God created the world, he looked down on all that he had made, the birds and, and the fish and the animals and the water and the trees, you know, the sun, the moon, and all that kind of stuff. And the Bible says that when God saw it all, he was pleased. It was good. God, God got a lot of pleasure out of seeing, that every, you know, seeing everything that he had made. Then the Bible says that God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve. And when God saw them, he said, wow, this isn't just good. This is very good. God was really pleased with the creation of human beings. But by the time Noah was born, which was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after Adam and Eve were created, everything was different. The world had become a crummy place. The entire world had rejected God. The world had become morally bankrupt. Sin was run, running rampant. Evil was everywhere. Nobody cared about righteousness. Nobody cared about holiness. Nobody cared about God. And so now when God looked down from heaven, he was no longer pleased. He was grieved. In fact, he was so grieved that he was actually bummed out that he had created human beings. This was a serious time. This was a time in world history that was just really weighty. But in the midst of all this evil, in the midst of all this chaos, and in the midst of all this sin, God finds one person who does care about God. He finds one person who does care about holiness. He finds one soul who, who does care about righteousness. One person that's available, if you will, for God to use. And that was Noah. Noah pleased God. So here we have the Lord looking down at everybody and everything, and he's just bummed. He's grieved, he's just sorry that he created human beings, but boom, there was one guy, Label. one guy that brought him pleasure, one person, and that was Noah. Nobody else on planet Earth was in a position to be used by God. Nobody but, but Noah. And God is pleased when you live your life in a way where, where you're available for him to use. That pleases God. Beloved, in, in God's eyes, being available is far more important than ability. In fact, in my opinion, too many Christians focus on what they can't do, what they're not good at. And Christian, listen to me. You need to stop focusing on what you can't do. Just let God decide what you can't do. You just focus on pleasing God, making your life available for him to use. That's what matters. I've been here at Big Valley Grace for, for decades now, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, oh, man, Pastor, I can't do that. Oh, Pastor, you know, that's not my giftedness. Oh, you know, Pastor, that's really not what I'm, I'm made to do, you know. And, and, and they focus on what they can't do. And, and I understand that human tendency. I, I get it. I, I've been there. I've said those words. But, but 
Christian, listen, don't focus on, on what you can't do. God, let him determine what, what you can't do. You just make your life available to him, and whatever it is he calls you to do, he'll give you the power and the strength through his Holy Spirit to pull it off. Don't, don't always zero in on what you can't do. I, I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be blown away at the types of people that God used. I, I think we're going to see, for the most part, they weren't superstars. They were simply ordinary people, unlikely people with faults and hang-ups and fears and doubts, but they all had one thing in common. They made their lives available to God. And so God used them. And boy, if you need any more proof of that, just look at the original 12 disciples, man. Talk about the dirty dozen, a motley crew. They were just a bunch of misfits uneducated, fishermen, poor. You ever notice when you read about the disciples, they were always mending their nets? I mean, they, they, could, they didn't have the dough to buy new nets. They're always fixing their old nets. And God comes along, Jesus comes along and says, hey guys, follow me. And what do they do? They drop their nets and they followed him. They made their lives available to him. Bunch of uneducated, you know, fishermen, you know, poor, didn't have much. They didn't say, yeah, you know, man, God, there's a whole bunch of smart guys that just graduated from, you know, Hebrew University. <laughs> They're really sharp, you know. They just said, man, okay. And they dropped their nets and they followed him. And that pleases the Lord. I think the prophet Isaiah was another great example of someone who simply made themselves available to God. It says this in Isaiah chapter 6. Then I, that's the great prophet Isaiah, heard the Lord's voice saying, whom can I send? Who will go for us? So I, Isaiah, said, here I am. Send me. And the reason Isaiah could say this is because he had made his life available to God. Beloved, it's almost unbelievable that God wants to use human beings to accomplish his will here on earth. You know, he doesn't need us. He could easily send his holy angels to do his bidding and they wouldn't gripe and complain and they would just obey, you know, immediately with great joy. But that's not what God tends to do. He, he, he saves us and he puts his Holy Spirit within us and then he says, listen, I don't really need you, but how about we together do something? I want to use you. This is that's bizarre, isn't it? But that's how God operates. But it's hard for him to use any of us if we're not available. You see, a lot of times what we do is, is we make ourselves available to everybody else, don't we? Man, a friend calls you, boom, you're Johnny on the spot. You're right there. Man, your work needs you to put in extra hours. Man, you're all over that like a cheap suit, man. But God calls you. Oh, hey, listen, Pastor, as soon as I get my business up and going, man, I'm telling you, then you, you count on me. I know our children's ministries need some workers and all that, but right now I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to get this part of my life together. And when I got it together, man, then you count on me, right? Friend calls you, boom, you drop everything, go help him. Work needs you, Bam. I think it pleases God when we get ourselves in a place where we say, God, here I am. 
You can use me. I'm available to you, God. Here's my life. I think we see that in the life of of Noah. So here's the first question I kind of want you to wrestle around with. Are you available right now? Are you available? Man, there's lots of needs right here, right now. Right now, just in this church, forget about some of the great organizations in our community that, that could use you. Are you available? Or is your schedule so tight, you know, there's just, there's just no uh, you know, space for, for anything? I know some of you right now are going, man, Pastor, I'm just too busy. And here's the deal, I agree with you. You're too busy, I agree. What might you have to do to get yourself in a place where you would be available? Number two, it pleases God when you, when you choose to be, to be different. When you choose to be different. In Genesis chapter six and verse nine, it says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. <laughs> Underline that. The only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Let me tell you, let me tell you what it means to be the only person who believed in God at the time, who was following God at the time. Let me tell you what that means. It means he was different. Unbelievably different. He was a man of deep convictions. He wasn't afraid to stand out. He wasn't afraid to stand alone. He wasn't afraid of what other people thought about him. He wasn't afraid to be different. All Noah cared about was God and what God thought. And in that culture, that was different. Really different. Listen, most of us in this room, about 98.6% of us, all have given our lives to Jesus Christ. Over in the venue, most of you have given your life to Christ. So you're sitting in here amongst a whole lot of people that believe the same thing you believe. You've given your life to the Lord. You believe that this is God's word. Singing all these songs is fantastic. Giving a, a gift was great. You're looking forward to enjoying communion. You, you're amongst you know, brothers and sisters in the Lord in here. When Noah was around, there wasn't one person that he could fellowship with. Wasn't one person he could get together in a small group with and, you know, talk about God with. There wasn't anybody he could go hang out with and just dialogue about God and his walk with God. And there wasn't anybody he could really pray with. He was it. He didn't care what the majority was doing. Well, everybody else was going one way and Noah said, not me. I'm gonna go the opposite direction. He was willing to stand alone and be different. And I want you to know, friends, that pleases God, I think. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Beloved, there's, there's a tremendous amount of pressure out there, isn't there, for all of us to, to conform to the culture today. We're all supposed to act alike and drink alike and talk alike and smell alike and look alike. We're all supposed to drive, you know, the same cars and wear the same clothes and do the same things, right? There's a, a tremendous amount of pressure out there to conform. But God says don't do that. Why? 
Because conformity is often, not always, but often the enemy of Christianity. Conformity says, I'm going to be like everybody else, whether it's right or wrong. And when you have this attitude, it makes it tough for God to use you. It makes it really tough. There's this American myth out there that goes like this. The majority is always right. I mean, if everybody's doing it, then it must you know, be, be okay. And that's simply not true. The majority is often wrong. Popular opinion is often wrong. I could give you a bunch of examples throughout history where the majority was wrong. Our state, probably next year or a couple years from now, the majority of the people in this state are gonna believe a certain way about marriage. And the majority will be wrong. The majority will not be right. All throughout history, you can find these moments where the majority got it wrong. And what's sad to me, one of the reasons why I think the church has lost a lot of its punch and power is because those of us that name the name of Christ, you know what, we just kind of have been conforming. You know, we don't really want to stand out. We don't really want to stick out. We don't want to really be different. I mean, after all, someone's going to call us weirdos or Jesus freaks or, you know, we've been marginalized to the fringes and we're all wacky. We're out of touch. I mean, it's the 21st century for crying out loud, pastor. Things have changed, you know. And let me tell you, we all want to be liked. I want to be liked. There, there are people that listen to this all over the, the world through the website and all of that, and I get all kinds of crummy things. And it's no fun to have somebody, I'll get, I'll get emails about what I just said. I'll get emails from some people in here who claim to know the Lord about what I just said. And it's no fun. It's no fun to think that someone doesn't like you or they're mad at you. I, I don't like that. I'm no different than you. But, but, but here's the choice. You're either going to conform and just kind of go with the majority, and that way the majority kind of likes you, or you're going to say, you know what, I don't care what the majority thinks. All I care is what God thinks. And if I'm the only one that thinks that along with God, then so be it. And if everybody hates me, then, you know, God, comfort me. You know, give me peace as I, as I try to stand alone in this thing. Here's the deal. In America, we don't have to worry about being persecuted. Nobody's going to come to your house and, you know, bust your door down and haul you off to jail because you're a follower of Christ. But we do have to worry about the sin of blending in. That, that, that's, the, that's the real temptation that I think the enemy, Satan, whatever, uses to suck us into being powerless as followers of Jesus. The sin of not having any beliefs or values or convictions because we don't want to stick out in a crowd, which is why people go along with the majority, okay? They don't want to stick out, so they conform because they're afraid of what people are going to think of them. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 29, it's dangerous to be concerned with what others think of you, but if you trust the Lord, if you follow the Lord, you're safe. Beloved, when you're more concerned about what 
people think of you instead of what God thinks of you, listen, listen, you're, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're in trouble. When the church cares more about what the world thinks of it than what God thinks, wow. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. Noah, the reason why he pleased God was he didn't care what everybody else was doing. He was willing to be different, and that pleases God. But now, now what was it that gave Noah the, the confidence to be different? What, what gave Noah the power, you know, the courage to be different for so many years? Well, look at the last seven words of verse nine, great words. He walked in close fellowship with God. This is what gave Noah the strength and the courage to live differently. The reason Noah could say, I don't care what everybody else is doing. I, I'm going to be different. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to follow God was because he loved God deeply. He walked in close fellowship with God. And when you walk in close fellowship with God, God will give you the power and the strength and the courage need to live out, you know, your faith in this crummy world we're, we're, we're living in. Isaiah said this, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. God never grows weary. God never grows weak. No one can measure the depths of God's understanding. God gives power to the weak. God gives power and strength to the powerless. Even young people will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord, or as Noah, as it says about Noah, those that have a close fellowship with God, the Lord will give them strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. That's where Noah got his strength and, and, and courage to, to live out his, his faith. So, so here's a question I, I want you to maybe wrestle with. Are you willing to be different than the culture around you? Really? You willing to be that salmon that's swimming upstream? So, so Noah was available to, for God to use him and Noah was willing to be different. He stood out in a crowd. Number three. It pleases God when you choose not to quit. Verse three of Genesis chapter six says, then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with man forever for he is mortal. And basically what God was saying is that there's no limit, that, that, that there's a limit, if you will, to his patience. There's, there's a time limit to what he'll put up with from disobedient uh, people. And he says here, his days will be 120 years. Now, not every theologian agrees with what is being said here. There are you know, different godly men and women who, who disagree here. To me, it's pretty clear. Basically, what God is saying here was that he was gonna destroy the world or judge the world in 120 years. That's what he's saying here. Now, why did God wait for 120 years to destroy the earth? Well, I think there's a number of reasons. Let me give you two quickly. Number one is, is because God's patient. Everybody had, had blown God off, and we know through the writings of our brother Peter that it's God's will that nobody would perish. 
All of you have been created in the image of God. You are special. You're unique. You're not like fish or birds. You're not like whales or seals. God created everything, but only you, human beings, are created in the very image of God. That's what gives your life sanctity. It's what gives your life dignity. Is you are different than everything else God created. But just because God created you doesn't mean you're a part of his family. You see, sin has separated us from God. And it's only when you give your life to Jesus Christ does, does, does your sin, that problem of sin, get dealt with. And now there's fellowship between you and God. And the Bible says that God doesn't want anybody to perish. Nobody. And so here was the world back then, and everybody was disobedient to God but Noah. And so I think he waited 120 years because he wanted people to give their life to him. He wanted them to repent. He was patient with him. But the second reason why he waited 120 years was this. That's how long it was going to take him to build the ark. It took Noah 120 years to build the ark. Here's the question I ask myself. Could I have maintained my enthusiasm for a project that took that long to complete? And let me tell you something. It took me about a nanosecond to go, no. <laughs> no. 120 years? Are you kidding me? How about you? Could you have kept going for 120 years on a project that God gave you to do? I imagined every night when Noah came home from work and he sat down at the di dinner table, Mrs. Noah would say, well, honey, how was work today? <laughs> and Noah said the same thing for 120 years. Same as usual, same place, same thing. I hadn't changed. 120 years, unbelievable. I gotta believe that there were days when Noah hated to, to look at that boat Days when he would say, I don't want to work on that thing anymore. I've worked on that thing for five years. I've worked on that thing now for 10 years. I've worked on that thing now for 30 years. I've worked on that thing now for 70 years. I've worked on that thing now for 100 years. I've been working on that thing for 110 years. I retire. Give me my gold watch. Somebody else pick up the hammer and saw. I'm done. Really, I mean. But here's the deal. He never did. He never quit. He never gave up. And I think that pleases God. I think it pleases God when, when we don't give up. In my opinion, one of the reasons why God doesn't use many people is because they tend to give up too soon. They hit one little bump of the road and they're done, right? Last night I had a guy come up to me, and I know this has probably happened with some of you. You were working in children's ministries or, you know, and something went down and you got ticked and you picked up your ball and went home. I'm not serving God anymore. <laughs> you quit. Maybe you were an usher, you were a greeter, you're walking the parking lot, you were in the band, you were in the choir, you were involved in something and something didn't go down the way you wanted it to go down and you just said, I'm done. Now you gave some holy reason. Well, my schedule changed at work when the reality was, you know what, you just quit, right? 
Last night, there were two guys that came up and said, wow, and they didn't know each other, and they said, you know what? The, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And I walked away from something God had called me to do, I know it, here at the church. Got all upset. And they both told me, Monday, I'm, I'm making a phone call. I'm getting back involved in that ministry. Easy to quit, isn't it? Get all ruffled about something. You know, I don't like your shirt, man. You know, what's that water doing up there? It's a holy place. You know, <laughs> Baptizing him. I mean, hey, the hominous Jesus. I mean, what, what are you, I don't like the band. What's the cage? What is that? I'm not, I'm not coming back here again. I don't like that stuff, you know. I don't know. Let me give you two things that will tempt you to give up or, or lose your focus. Number one, problems. Problems will, will tempt you to lose your focus and quit on God's plan for your life. Imagine, if you will, all the problems that came with simply building the ark. You had to get all the wood, all the nails, the rope, all the hammers, the saws, the tar. Unbelievable. Could you imagine all the problems? The, the guy was building an aircraft carrier in his front yard. Imagine all the problems that came when the ark was finished, you know, collecting up all the animals. You think there were some problems there? Imagine all the problems that came when the animals were finally all collected. I mean, how do you separate all the animals that want to eat each other? Obviously, you can't put the bobcats next to the rabbits, right? You can't put the snakes next to the mice. I mean, you think there were problems? How about food? Imagine the problem. Not everybody likes to eat hay. Now you got to figure out all the different food and, and then the waste. Imagine, what do you, that's a lot of waste for 40 days. I got, I got two dogs. My, my son just got a brand new dog. Every day. It's a little thing. It's this big. It's this big. And it is, it's just, it's going all the time. I, I don't get it. But imagine a whole, I mean, how, do you, how do you get rid of it? Let me tell you what problems are. Problems are simply tools that God uses to help you grow, to help you develop, help you mature, but too many people see them as excuses to quit. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't quit. I, yeah, you're going to get ticked. I, I'm going to tick you off. You, you, don't, you don't do what I do. or what you, you, I'm going to tick people off. People are going to tick you off. You're going to tick somebody else off. There's going to be problems in your ministries and problems in the things that God calls you to do. Don't use those things as excuses. Don't do that. It pleases God when you don't quit. The, the second thing that will tempt you to lose your focus and quit is this, is people. Beloved, people will disappoint you. The, they'll misunderstand you. People will criticize you. People will let you down. And somehow all these things will tempt you to simply give up. Think about all the people, people in Noah's life. Imagine the, the mockery that he got from people. Uh, imagine how many times he was laughed at or made fun of or, or ridiculed or, or thought it insane. The, the, the Queen Mary's in his front yard. I think his family probably thought he was nuts at times. I mean, how would you have liked to have been one of Noah's kids? 
I mean, here's your dad for 120 years building this boat in his front yard. Talk about embarrassing. Could you have put up with being misunderstood and criticized year after year after year because of your convictions? Galatians chapter six says this. So let us not become tired of doing good. We, we, we can, we can get tired of doing good. It can be a tiring thing to be that salmon trying to swim upstream, right? We can get tired. And that's one of the beautiful things about the church. That's one of the beautiful things about your small group is that's a place where you can come and people can love you and care about you and stimulate you to love and good deeds. And when you feel like just giving up because, man, it's tough to live a, a life of faith in our culture, they're there to help you. They're there to encourage you. They're there to hip hip hooray you and grab you when you get off track and get you back on course again. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the church. That's why everybody needs a church. That's why everybody needs to be in a small group. You need to be in our men's ministry. You need to be in our women's ministries. All those things are, are God uses to, to help us because we can get tired of doing good. For if we don't give up, though, the time will come and we will reap the harvest. Listen, every day that Noah went out and worked on that boat, he preached a sermon. Listen to me, he didn't, he didn't stand up in a church in a podium like this and give a speech. Instead, he preached the most effective type of sermon. He preached with his life. I mean, for 120 years, as he nailed those nails and built those boards and bent that wood into shape, he was saying to the world, I believe in God. All the problems and all the people that were mocking him every day, he went out and did whatever it is he was doing. He was saying to everybody, you can think I'm nuts, you can think I'm crazy, but I believe in God. I've made my life available to God. I'm willing to be different, and I'm not giving up. I'm not gonna give up. I So Noah was available, he was different, and he wasn't a quitter. And last but not least, number four, it pleases God when you choose to follow his instructions. In Genesis chapter six, verse 22, it says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Everything, everything. It says the same thing in chapter seven. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah did everything that God asked him to do. Not, not part of it, not some of it. And you know what? That pleases God. He gave Noah some instructions. I want you to build this boat. And Noah did it exactly like he said. And that brought pleasure to God. Dads, let me ask you a question. Moms, let me ask you a question. When you give your kids uh, a task, you know, one of my son's jobs is we have two trash cans. And it's his job every Sunday to take those two trash cans out to the curb, okay? Now, what if one day he came in and I said, son, did you, did you, you know, I gave you the instructions, did you do it? Well, I, I put one out there. One? Yeah, I, I did part of it. Don't you like it, dads, when your kids just kind of follow your instructions? 
Don't you like that? Doesn't it please you? Well, it pleases God when he gives you some instructions, whatever they are, and you do them. Not part of them, not some of them. You don't pick and choose and go, well, I kind of like this one, and this one here I don't really like all that much. You know? so, so I'll do this one, but I won't do this one. When I tell my son, hey, you got to take both cans out, you take both cans out. Psalms 147 says, God's pleasure is not in strong horses. God's pleasure is not, you know, he doesn't delight in brave soldiers. But God takes pleasure in those who honor him. Those who trust in his constant love. Beloved, God honored Noah. He trusted Noah. He had incredible faith in God. And this is why I believe it says that Noah brought pleasure to God. I want you to just think for a moment that God has just given Noah a project that from a human standpoint is just crazy, okay? It didn't make any sense, you know, build this aircraft carrier in his front yard. Let me tell you why it didn't make sense. Number one, it didn't make sense because up until the, the time of the flood, it had never rained on planet Earth. Some of you didn't know that. It had never rained on planet Earth until the flood. The way the earth was watered was a mist kind of came up from the ground, kind of like dew in the morning. The whole atmosphere was different back then because it had never rained. In fact, a lot of scientists believe that's why people lived a lot longer during that period of time. But after the, after the rain and the floods, the atmosphere changed and then the lifespan of people tended to, tended to change. Number two, it didn't make sense because not only had it never rained, but Noah was at least 500 miles away from the largest body of water, which was the Mediterranean Sea. So here's this guy building this aircraft carrier, and it had never rained, and he's 500 miles away from the closest body of water. And nowhere did God tell him to build a trailer. This, this plan isn't making sense. And I'm sure to Noah, he thought to himself, I don't know. This, this doesn't make any sense, but I'm available. I'm willing to be different. I'm not giving up, man. And if these are the instructions you gave me, then I'm, I'm just going to do it, even though it doesn't make sense. Number three, didn't make sense because how was Noah going to round up all these animals? The whole thing just didn't make sense, beloved. But the impressive thing about Noah was that he didn't argue, he didn't complain, he didn't freak out, he didn't explain it away, he didn't say, but, but, but God, he didn't do any of that. He simply obeyed. He obeyed even though it just didn't make sense. And for some of us that have been around here a while, uh, it was a few years ago that God gave us a task and it didn't make sense. God said, I want you to buy that building right out here. It was $1.5 million and we had that much money in the bank and God said, I want you to buy it cash. 
and I'll give you a few months to raise the money. And as soon as God laid that on our hearts, guess what happened? The greatest economic disaster in my lifetime and yours took place. The stock market crashed into the, man, I think it got down to like 7,000 points. The, the, the housing thing blew up. This was the epicenter. Boom, everybody's losing their job. The stock market's crashing. And God says, yeah, I told you what I told you. Can, can we wait? This plan isn't making sense. Then we had a choice to make. Were we going to follow God or not? And here we are in the middle of the worst economic crisis to hit in my lifetime and yours. Stock market has crashed. The housing thing has crashed. People are, have lost their jobs. There are more people out of work in our church. It was unbelievable. And God said, just take an offering. Just take an offering. We took that offering. Remember that, Rob? Remember that, Sandy? Wow, that's amazing. And everybody came forward that weekend, had those special things, and over and above what our normal giving was, in one weekend, $1.5 million came in so we could buy that building. Wow. It didn't make sense. There were lots of people who told me, wrote me letters. This doesn't make sense. In fact, this is so crazy, I'm, I'm not even going to participate in it. You're nuts. When that money came in, I got a lot of letters saying, boy, I'm sorry. My faith has grown. I didn't trust God. I, I didn't believe you guys could pull that off. And I'm so sorry. I've learned a lot about God through this. We all did. We all did. Now let me, let, me, let me quickly share this with you. Nobody will ever follow God perfectly. In Genesis chapter nine, it says this, after the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground and he planted a vineyard. One day he drank some of the wine he had made and became drunk and laid in his tent naked. Beloved, after the flood, when the land had all dried out, it says that Noah built this vineyard and he made some wine, he got drunk and he took off all of his clothes and he made a fool of himself. Why is that included in the Bible? We just went, wow, woo, Noah. Really? Countrymen, you, you couldn't have ended it a minute ago? Really? Why does the Bible include those kinds of things? Here's this incredible man who does an incredible thing, and yet here we find him in some crummy sin. He's drunk and naked, running around, embarrassing his kids. Unbelievable. Look, the Bible never glosses over those kinds of things. It's one of the reasons why I believe that this is a supernatural book, not just a book written by man, because if it was written by man, they'd only include the good things about people. But the reality is, is that all of us in this room are flawed, all of us. We're all sinful, the Bible says, all of us. And I don't care who it is that we look at. I don't care which person it is, Samson, Jonah, David, doesn't matter who it is. All of these people are unlikely people. They're just like us. They were human beings. We're all flawed. We're all goofed up, all of us. 
If the only people that God could use were perfect people, then forget it. Get up and get out of here and go home and do something else with your life. Did God know that Noah was going to get drunk and naked and make a jerk of himself? Yeah. But he chose him anyway, didn't he? Did God know that Peter was eventually going to deny him three times? Yeah, but he chose him anyway. Did he know that David was going to have a crummy affair with a gal and end up killing her husband? Yeah, he chose him anyway. Look, some of you are going, man, I'm available. Some of you are thinking, you know what, I'm different. Some of you are thinking, man, I'd never quit. I'll follow God's instructions, but you're looking back on your life and you're thinking back to some sin in your life and you're thinking God could never use you and you're wrong. You're wrong. That's a lie from Satan. It's a lie from the enemy. It's a lie from the pit of hell. You, if you're available and you're willing to, to be different, you're, you're willing to, to, to not give up and follow God's instructions. I don't care what's in your past. I don't know what's in your future, probably sin. God can use you. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter five, try to learn what pleases the Lord. And we just saw some things that I think pleases God. And in a moment, our, our hosts and hostesses are gonna come and they're gonna send these little trays down the aisle and I want you to pick a pick up one of the cups and, and one of the pieces of bread, okay? Because we're going to have communion. There's going to be a song over in the venue. John's going to lead a song, and Pastor Scott will come up at the end and, and, and lead you guys. We want to take it all in, in unison together, in unity together. But while you're holding that, listen, why don't you listen for the voice of the Lord? Maybe you're not available for him to use. and Maybe this would be a great time to repent and say, God, I need to kind of look at my schedule. Maybe you've been blending in too much. This would be a great time to repent of that and say, God, I'm willing to be different. Maybe, maybe you've given up on something and there's some ministry somewhere that you just need to repent and say, I need to get back there. I gave up. God didn't want me to do that. Maybe you haven't been following the instructions of the Lord very well, and this would be a great moment to say, God, I'm sorry. I don't know how the Lord's gonna speak to you, but just hang on to the elements and we'll take them together here in just a moment, okay? Father, thanks for the life of this man. And I just scratched the surface, but I hope somehow you'd use it. I hope that as we hold this bread and cup that you would speak to us in a deeper way. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.